They told me I use my mouth good. So I started a podcast. Everybody, what if I picked a topic that could potentially alienate all of my patrons? Welcome to the abortion episode of Iconosass. All right, so this is one of those topics that is very important as far as I'm concerned because it definitely is a topic that personally affects me and a lot of the listeners I have, and I mean, it affects everyone. And it is extremely divisive, and I really think it is one of those few topics where there's really a clear right and wrong choice. So I'm going to be kind of building the case for my position on this, uh, and I'm not really going to give any leeway to the anti-choice arguments. I'm going to dissect all of them. But I really don't want to make any concessions to really any of their points. And I'm sure this is probably going to piss off some people. And uh, I just have to say, that's too bad. You're not going to agree with everything I say. That's fine. It'll be okay. You will survive. I'll produce other content that I'm sure you'll probably like. Uh, And, you know, hopefully we can all just kind of agree to disagree. Although this is one of those topics that's kind of difficult to agree to disagree with me on if you're politically active. So just to kind of get this out of the way, I think this is a philosophical topic that you can have a disagreement on, like keeping it in that plane. But if you are politically active and pro-life, it is going to be increasingly difficult for us to get along probably, because I do view what you're specifically doing to be dishonest and an attack on my rights. And I don't ask for my rights. You know, like, I'm not going to beg for my rights. I'm going to take them. Um, And I consider anyone trying to take them from me an aggressive person that 
I don't really need in my life. And I think this is one of those topics. I mean, yeah, it is. It, it's extremely polarizing and it's kind of wading into that territory of, oh, I don't know. Can I really be friends with someone who supports these certain positions? And I'm friends with people across the whole political spectrum. I have friends kind of everywhere. And oftentimes, yeah, we do just agree to disagree. Uh, but if you're specifically politically active for this cause, then it's not okay. And you should listen to this podcast and change your mind. And then we can be friends. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like to, I don't want to like purity test all of my friends on this topic. But I'm just going to launch into explaining why this is so important to me. And, you know, I'm going to dissect 10 myths about abortion in this that I hear from pro-life people, including pro-life people that I do like and would like to remain friends with. But it's very hard for me to remain friends with liars. And I want to get this out of the way, too. The topic of this or the title of this podcast is I am pro-life because I am pro-abortion. The reason I titled it that and the I'm going to change the language that I'm using. Um, I just used it just now because it's somewhat more familiar to people, but I'm going to not be using the term pro-life to refer to people who are anti-abortion for the rest of the podcast because I will not concede to their narrative about what is pro-life. I don't think that their general beliefs in other areas of morality really line up with a unified, consistent pro-life stance. I think my beliefs in pro-abortion line up more clearly with what would be broadly said as pro-life. Pro-life is a total misnomer. What these people have done, they, they've chosen to value potential existence of something over the existing potential of someone already living. And so I'm not going to let anti-choicers define the narrative, and I'm also not going to let them define the narrative about one of the most controversial topics that's come up, which is post-viability abortions. I will not be calling these late-term abortions. That's inaccurate. These are post-viability abortions. And we're going to go into the reasons why. In fact, I want to start with specifically talking about post-viability abortions. And I'm going to jump into some stats in a little bit. But first, I want to read a personal story. And I've been seeing a lot of these lately as well. These are very heart-wrenching to read, and I've been sharing them, probably, you know, alienating some of my friends on social media, but they need to be read because this is the reality of the situation, and I'm so tired of anti-choice people being dishonest about the reality of abortion because it's mostly lies, and this is why they don't get the moral high ground. It's too important a topic to lie about. And if you do so to push an agenda, you're by your own moral standards a bad person. What I'm going to be doing in this episode a lot is holding anti-choicers to their own moral standards, not mine necessarily, although I'm going to have some of my own value preferences in here. This is about holding them accountable to their own moral codes. And if you think it's okay to lie about this topic, 
you are a shit person. Like, fuck you. Seriously. And I'm sick of seeing what should be what should be people who should know better, by the way, lying about this topic. You do no service to your cause. There are better ways to make your points than what you're doing by lying specifically about post-viability abortions. So I'm, you know, I, I am riled up about this topic. I've been seeing it come up a lot and I've been seeing the discussions, you know, I've I've been posting about it a lot on social media and generating some discussion and I'm really, uh, yeah, I've gotten super fired up over it and uh, really sick of all the lying. As soon as I see someone lying about abortion, I just lose respect for them. And it's it's hard to gain back, you know, and I, I hate to say it, but I've, I have lost respect for people that I didn't want to because I've caught them directly lying and then refusing to acknowledge the truth when they've been corrected. That's, you know, it's there's no shame in saying you were wrong. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. It's easy to get wrapped up in someone else's narrative about something, especially when it's a topic that you believe in. But you win no points with me for intellectual dishonesty and then doubling down on some bullshit like that. Okay, just admit you were wrong and move on. You don't have to make a huge show of it and you don't have to be so fucking hysterical about it either. (sighs) Like, this is a real what I'm about to read to you, by the way, I'm going to say a content warning because this is incredibly difficult to hear and to read i mean obviously you know this is a very loaded subject but uh i'm going to read the story this is a post i came across on facebook by someone named christina and this is her story in light of new york's abortion laws i wanted to share my story for anyone that needs to hear it In 2006, at 21 weeks pregnant, I went into my OBGYN for a routine ultrasound. My doctor told me they suspected my daughter had trisomy 13. They said they needed to do an amnio to be sure. Then they asked if I wanted to terminate the pregnancy. I said I wanted to wait until the results came back. I wasn't able to make that decision without knowing for sure. They told me that the results would be back in 7 to 10 days, and by that time, I would be past 22 weeks and not be allowed to have a medical abortion in my state. I had 45 minutes to make that choice. 45 minutes! I decided to wait for the results. That decision is the biggest regret of my life, and I've played that conversation in my head over and over for the past 13 years. The results came back positive. Molly had genetic chromosome disorder. Over the following weeks, I learned she had two holes in her heart, her brain was not formed properly, she didn't have eyes, she had a cleft palate, extra fingers and toes, and barely functioning lungs. The only thing keeping her alive was me. They told me I probably wouldn't carry full term, and if I did, her survival was unlikely. The truth was, Molly would suffer immensely if she lived past birth. I carried Molly full term to 40 weeks. I gave birth with a team of doctors by my side and I held her in my arms for 31 minutes and watched my daughter suffocate to death. Every single day after I found out, the results were torture. Delivery was torture. Telling my children that after I had the baby, she would die was torture. Telling my family was torture. 
People would congratulate me on my pregnancy and I would smile and say thank you because retelling my story over and over was torture. Fuck abortion regulation. Medical decisions should be between the patient and the doctor, period. This was my personal painful choice and it was taken from me by my government and state's legislation. The PTSD I go through daily is real and debilitating some days. I will never get over this. Molly was wanted. Molly was loved. My heart goes out to anyone denied third trimester abortions. These are not people who just changed their minds. These are heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, life-changing stories, and nobody gets to make those decisions for someone else. And I'm going to end it there. She And she ends up thanking the states who have compassionate uh, post-viability abortion laws, because um, there are other ones besides New York. And that is my position too. This is a decision that is only between a medical professional and the patient. It's none of your goddamn business. You can protest all you want, but you're lying. You're going out there and you're spreading lies and you're harming people who want to give birth and people who don't want to give birth. It's none of your business what other people do with their body. That's the overall premise that I'll be working off of. But we're going to dive into a bunch of other areas, too. I mean, for me, it's very fucking clear. My body is my body. You do not get any say over what me and my body do. And fuck you for trying. And this comes down to there are religious components I'm going to go through, but she highlighted a main component, and that is what the government does and the government thinking that it has a right over your body, which it does not. But some people in this world want it to. So I'm going to dive in to some myths about abortions. And that first one was highlighted by the Facebook post I read. And so number one, that post-viability abortions are common and done for any reason. Of course, we know this to be false. The latest bill in New York allows for abortions past 22 weeks in the event of life-threatening conditions to the fetus or mother and unviability of the fetus. And as that person mentioned, it is torture not only to force a person to carry a dying fetus to term, but also to criminalize this medically necessary procedure. And this is something that gets left out in the specific discussion about this, is this is often a necessary medical procedure recommended by a doctor. And what this law specifically does is prevent women from being thrown in a prison for making the medically correct choice. And if you are against this bill, you are, by definition, for throwing these poor, grieving people into prison. You want that person that I just read that personal story for to be in a cage because she had to make that choice. It, had she gotten the abortion, she would have had to make that choice. She could have potentially be thrown, you know, in prison. And that's way more fucked up than saying, hey, you know, obviously this fetus that I really wanted 
is not going to be able to survive and is going to live an extremely painful existence for the minutes that it, it, it is alive outside of the womb if it even makes it to term. This is just truly awful that people want to call these people murderers. It's, it's just disgusting. You know, if, if, you know, they're wanting to do the whole moral high ground argument, it's very hard to say that they have the moral high ground at all. Honestly, like these are mother, the mothers who undergo these procedures very much want to have the child and it's one of the hardest decisions for them to make. And in fact, the New York law is the most common sense uh, piece of legislation I've seen in a while. Honestly, I mean, I'm even more arguably uh, pro-abortion than the law even goes, but I think it's a very, very common sense law. And it's very clearly written, too. Some people have been like, oh, no, it's it could be broadly interpreted. Okay, no, not really. Like, it's not like there's a cabal of doctors just, you know, itching to force people to get abortions. That's ridiculous. Like, no, like, it's it's a medically necessary procedure. And also, and also, guess what? Abortions are way down. They're at the lowest rate in history. So... It's not like there's been this vast increase in abortion and all of this stuff. No, they're literally at the lowest point in history. So the people who are fighting against abortion rights, I mean, there's a delusions on many levels, but it's not like it's increasing. It's not like it's some kind of epidemic. Again, it's lies and fear mongering. Next one. Number two, adoption is always a viable alternative. Okay, no, it's not actually. It's not at all. Uh, you're still trying to force someone else's body to go through a potentially life-threatening uh, situation. Pregnancy is very dangerous for people. In fact, you are much more likely to die in childbirth than you are getting abortions. We'll get into that stat in a little bit. But yeah, it's it's much more dangerous. And ultimately, it comes down to you don't have ownership over anyone else's body ever. And there are a lot of complicating factors with this. You can't safely predict how the pregnancy will harm a body. You don't know the circumstances of the pregnancy. Was it due to rape or incest? You don't know the health and stability of the person carrying. You don't know the domestic situation they're in. You know, the danger of the adoption and foster care system, too. I mean, these are kids who get thrown into a system that just chews them up and spits them out. Government social programs and like, a, you know, adoption houses and stuff like this, they're not great alternatives. They're the kind of the only alternatives we have. And, you know, maybe they're sometimes better than some situations. But I mean, it's they're not great. It's not ideal to grow up in the foster care system or not be adopted. And just because you think that, um, you know, everyone should be forced to do this, you, it doesn't mean you're necessarily tracing with reality. You know, quality of life matters after birth. And disregarding this fact is also, you know, you're going to you lose a moral high ground with that. You know, this kind of magical thinking doesn't work for reality. They try to do this whole, like, oh, well, what if you abort the future president? That's 
so like not even likely to happen. Like for every outlier that comes from these very traumatic beginnings, for example, people who are born into uh, poverty or things like that, there are, you know, for every person who gets out of those situations, and yes, there are people who get out of those situations, but they're outliers. And for every one of those, there are thousands of people who will never make it out of soul-crushing poverty. And they will be scarred with trauma for the rest of their life. And I think unless you've personally grappled with the struggle of an existence mired with addiction, depression, PTSD, I don't know, I don't really think you get to have a say in this. And you don't anyway, because you'll never have to personally do anything to lift these disadvantaged people out of poverty. Honestly, I'm not seeing a whole lot of conservatives making alternatives to these awful social programs. They're not trying to help get these, they're not trying to lift people up. You know, it's yelling at them and, you know, bitching about immigrants stealing your jobs or whatever isn't helping anyone. And you have to be realistic about the world we live in. You have to be realistic about how racism and bigotry affect these different kids in adoption. So not only is the system bad, but it's also colored by cultural influences. So of these children, you know, wanting to be adopted, African-American kids are adopted at significantly lower rates. And there's a link for that in the notes. In fact, I'm linking all of this in the notes so you all will have a nice little list of just stats and uh, sources. You know, the world isn't magically a better place just because you want to force people to give birth to unwanted children. It's actually a worse place because of that condition. And I mean, for obvious reasons, but here's why. The political positions that usually align with anti-choice stances are generally conservative. I'm not talking about the handful of anti-choice non-conservatives. Like, that's a rare... Those people exist, sure, but it's a smaller percentage. If you look at the overall demographic of people who tend to be anti-choice, you see support for war, support of oppressive hierarchical structures like prison, the justice system, religious-based patriarchies. Uh, you see often a reliance on mythology, like religious mythology, for moral guidance. You see support of social discrimination for alternative lifestyles. And all of this, like all of this baggage and bullshit contributes to the stagnation and destruction of human thriving. And yeah, the state of the world has to be a factor when bringing more human life into it. It's not okay to just carelessly bring someone into the world. Pregnancy must be voluntarily chosen and truly wanted for the world to become a better place. It's just a fact of the matter. That's where things start. <laughs> like, it's literally, I mean, and anti-choicers make kind of similar arguments, but this is where things start. If you want things to be better, it does start with the children, so to speak. And this is a, a component that you don't ever, that I don't think you see talked about enough. You can't consent to birth. The person being birthed cannot consent to birth. And I'm not making a moral claim on this. This is just a factual claim. Birth is non-consensual. And because we can't consent to that birth, it's important to make sure the person we're inflicting that on, our choices on, have the best opportunity for happiness and thriving. Otherwise, you've just tried to ruin someone else's life for no reason other than your own self-gratification. 
And whatever, you can have kids for selfish reasons if you want. In fact, that's the only reason people have kids is for selfish reasons. And that's fine. I'm not saying that that's necessarily morally a bad thing. That's also one of those, it's just a fact of the situation. You know, but why add to human suffering when you cannot? I think it's more responsible to prevent the suffering of someone than it is to guarantee it. And by guaranteeing it, I mean, if you're in a bad situation, if you, you know, like kids who were born to drug addicted parents, for example, it's not pretty. And honestly, no one should ever have to look at that. No one should ever have to see that. It's horrifying. Yeah, I mean, and this is part of my personal position. This is uh, my personal position to not give birth is rooted in the consent argument. And I have a lot of other reasons, and obviously I'm going through and debunking all the lies here. But this is a huge reason why I won't ever be giving birth. I don't believe in it. I am child-free by choice. Um, And I am an exception who escaped not great circumstances. I'm lucky in a lot of ways compared to a lot of people I know, but I wouldn't wish that on anyone. You know, I wouldn't want anyone to go through some of the stuff I went through on the off chance that they're an outlier, an exception to the rule. I don't want anyone to know what it feels like to know you're unwanted. This is something anti-choice people completely fucking miss when it comes to, oh, just throw someone in the adoption mill. These kids are kids who know that they're unwanted. And living with that is painful. Living with that is a degree of suffering that you'll always have that, you know, other people won't. I, you know, want more kids who are wanted. That generally makes for a better society, I would think. Okay, moving on. Number three, abortionists hate women and are trying to exploit them. All right, so cases of bad doctors and exploitative doctors are extremely rare, and many abortionists are actually risking their lives to serve people who are wanting to exercise their civil rights. So again, people often bring up different abortionists who who were being exploitative and performing unnecessary work and like, you know, being actually terrible people. And yeah, those people exist just like murderers exist. Other murderers exist. Yeah, there are some people who are highly sociopathic and do bad things to people. And unfortunately, that's a fact of being a human. They make up maybe 5 to 10% of the human population, and it's not great, but there is not much you can do about that. But of the abortion doctors who were practicing, it's an extremely small percentage. <laughs> Most people go into being a doctor to save lives. They generally have that inclination and that, that motivation. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to go through what doctors go through to get to that level in their profession. And yeah, these are people who believe in the cause and, and, you know, for much of the same moral arguments that you hear other pro-abortion and pro-choice people making. In fact, it's the anti-choicers who are the violent ones. Incredibly fucking violent. These motherfuckers, not only do they lie about pretty much everything and they stand outside of abortion clinics holding up signs that are full of lies by the way it's 
the the signs i i don't understand how these people who think standing outside with these signs of mutilated babies and lying to everyone around them with that including children by the way including children somehow think they have the moral high ground and i've told this story a lot on the podcast but it's especially relevant here i grew up right down the street from the abortion clinic in pensacola and every friday my bus would drive past this clinic with tons of abortion protesters and they were holding these signs of decapitated babies and i'm just not sure that like traumatizing children with lies in order to save potential children is really the best fucking method for getting people on your side but it also didn't help that these same people in the early 90s shot and killed one of the doctors and injured one of the nurses by shooting her bombed the clinic no one was injured that time. And then later, another uh, person who was a crazy fundamentalist burned it to the ground. They burned it to the ground in 2011. 2011. Not that long ago. So, and they, they kill doctors all the time. They try to block access. People need chaperones, basically, to help get them through these crowds sometimes. And again, these are dumb people telling lies. They're dumb, malicious people telling lies. They just are. And if you don't want to be considered a dumb, malicious person telling lies, you probably shouldn't be in that group standing outside the abortion clinics because your reputation, regardless of how philosophically pure your positions might be, is going to get conflated with that dumb, evil bullshit. Because it is dumb, evil bullshit. These fanatics, these anti-choice fanatics, they're the ones that hate women and want to exploit them for an agenda whose long game literally makes the world a worse place. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of simple math, really. More unwanted kids equals more child abuse equals more fucked up people equals more unwanted kids. Repeat. And now you wonder why everything's fucked up. Um... <laughs> Of course, the reason the world is fucked up isn't only due to that, but I'm saying I think there's a pretty strong argument to make that more un unwanted kids does not generally make the world a better place. Okay, moving on. The next one. Abortion is eugenics because Margaret Sanger was a racist eugenicist and, oh, eugenics... This argument is super dumb for a lot of reasons, uh, because the whole topic of eugenics is super complicated, and, <laughs> and of course, it's super ahistorical. Actually, I'm just gonna go into that, because people can bitch about Margaret Sanger and, and her racism and birth control all day long. That doesn't mean that things like birth control are some evil, terrible thing rooted in eugenics. That's fallacious. But it's also ahistorical, this whole argument, because it's not like abortion started with Margaret Sanger. It's not like abortion started in the U.S. or it started with Planned Parenthood or anything. Abortions existed throughout history. It's been performed in every single country. Let's go to our good friend Wikipedia for a brief history on abortion, which is linked to in the show notes. Uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to 
There's evidence of it in the pre-modern era, the Greco-Roman world. Of course, it was uh, practiced way before then. It was often done with herbs or just working the pregnant person extremely hard through manual labor uh, or diving or climbing or something like that, bloodletting, fasting, battery, just, you know, beating a woman up. Um <laughs> That's gruesome and terrible. Obviously, medical abortion is uh, much safer than all of these techniques. And yeah, oftentimes it's medically necessary, but it doesn't even matter if it's medically necessary because it's none of your fucking business anyway. How about that? It's none of your fucking business. But yeah, no, abortion has always existed and will always exist. And it's actually one of the reasons that witches were targeted back in the day. That's something they conveniently leave out of history class is that abortions were generally people who used herbs for uh, medicine, basically. And one of the medical services that they would perform or that they would basically write prescriptions to would be certain types of abortive herbs. And that is one of the reasons they were targeted by religious institutions of the day and uh, all that. Yeah. Witches were some of the original abortionists. But it happened way, I mean, again, it goes all the way back. And it just comes down to bodily autonomy. You know, they attacked the witches. They, you know, killed the witches for doing this too. But yeah, the bodily autonomy of women in particular is one of the oldest civil rights struggles in history. Now, everyone seems to think they have a claim on certain bodies, but the only fair claim can be on your own body. A fetus is not a sentient separate body, but a developing organism dependent on another living organism for survival. And honestly, if you're worried about people using eugenics in the modern day U.S., go hassle like the tech bros and their quest for designer babies and all the weird biohacking shit they're doing. You know, if you're really worried about it. I'm not worried. I don't give a shit because, I mean, rich people are going to do weird shit like that all the time. It's kind of hard to stop them. But uh, don't fucking attack poor people with your bullshit. And whether it's been the state who's had this claim on bodies or religion, they both function together. And so the next uh, I'm going to go into number five, that's various religious arguments. Well, Religion's kind of funny in that it's not super consistent with itself, even. Uh, you know, there's a million different sects in every single religion for each sect and subsect. There's so many different types of religions, and none of them have a claim on any kind of universal morality. And even the Catholic Church has been inconsistent with its application to the morality of abortion. I found this interesting article from the Irish Times when uh, it was titled, interestingly, Saints Once Did Abortions. It Was a Lesser Sin Than Oral Sex. And you can read that whole article if you'd like. But it kind of tells the story at one point of a king who forced an abortion on a girl that he had gotten pregnant. And <sighs> he claimed it was to kill a demon, right? Which is like a, a convenient excuse, you know, <laughs> like. Uh, so abortion, you know, in, in Ireland is uh, 
not okay sometimes, but okay if you're a king and you kind of made a whoops mistake and we're just going to call it a demon instead. So, you know, no moral uncertainty there. <laughs> um, but yeah, religions are all over the place on this idea, but something religions, gosh, love doing more than just about anything else is controlling the bodily autonomy of women and non-men. And uh, helping enforce patriarchy through governmental systems, too. Religions always have a hand in trying to force the government to enforce their cultural beliefs. They're usually based in magical thinking and always, always wanting to control other people's bodies. So, yeah, this is a really fascinating article. I, uh, <laughs> it's interesting the restrictions they put on nuns, for example, who would get pregnant versus getting abortions or clerics who like secretly had sex when they weren't supposed to. You know, it, it's very interesting. You definitely see the, uh, gendered differences in how, uh, people have been treated by religion. I mean, it's, it's, look, whether religions have been for abortions for dumb reasons or against abortion for dumb reasons, one thing is certain, they all agree they get dibs on the bodies of other people. Always comes back to the bodily autonomy thing. And, uh, I mean, various Christian sects disagree all the time on something as evidence-based as birth control. And they ignore all of the well-established good that it has done for the world and all the, you know, unwanted pregnancies and human suffering it has prevented and the increase in quality of life. They'll ignore all of that for some made-up bullshit. And it doesn't make any sense. And you know who really loves abortions are this family values Christian male politicians. Abortion is their favorite. They're all about getting abortions for their mistresses pro-life my ass. Ah, let's talk about government stuff. Number six, what about the evils of the one-child policy in China? Oh. Okay, so uh, this is another example of religion or the state claiming ownership of bodies. And if we're talking specifically about China, that policy ended in the 90s. Um, but it's been culturally upheld in both China and India. And I did an entire podcast episode about this problem entitled Too Many Men. I'll link it, I'll link you to it in the show notes. And basically, this led to nearly 40 million more males than females in India and China. And this, of course, has caused increases in violent crimes and caused a bunch of other societal problems that, uh, man, seemed like they would be totally obvious if, I guess, people weren't being blinded by their hatred for women. Um, and had there not been, you know, these religious, cultural, and government influences over society, this probably wouldn't have been a problem. They could have totally avoided this. But it was more important to hate women than just try to efficiently run your country, I guess. And, like, we don't live in this perfect world. So, you know, expectations have to be adjusted accordingly. You know, we don't live in a world that, you know, an unwanted child is going to grow up in a super healthy, safe, wonderful environment or or, you know, a person who appears to be a woman isn't going to be treated horribly throughout the rest of the world. I mean, that's the origins of this policy. Th this is, you know... This is specifically a failure of government and culture respecting bodily autonomy as a result of patriarchal systems. 
It's rooted in the exact same sentiments as anti-choicers and their preference for dominant Judeo-Christian value systems. It comes, you know, it comes down to patriarchy, really. Religious and non-religious patriarchies oppress the people who live under them. They devalue the lives of women and non-men. And yeah, they don't respect anyone's bodily autonomy. You know, whether it's the government doing it, either pro-abortion or anti-abortion, it still comes down to a violation of bodily autonomy. And that is something that is deeply connected to state institutions and religious institutions. It has to be your body, your choice. Number seven, that there's a middle ground in evictionism. So evictionism is kind of touted as this middle ground that people can have, and it was proposed by uh, libertarians. And... uh, it's not a middle ground at all. And here's what I'll explain. I don't want to bury the lead. Here's what evictionism is. It's a moral theory based on property rights. And it, it basically says you have the right to evict a fetus from your womb, but you are not allowed to commit murder by killing the baby or ending the life of that fetus. So you need to evict that fetus into another environment that is conducive to life. Now, uh, and that's granted, no one else has homesteaded the right to that fetus by offering to care for the baby. I don't want the state or anyone else telling me what I can do with my body. This is uh, it, this makes a false concession to the anti-choice arguments of morality. It, it's not it's not a good middle ground at all. And another thing about it is evictionism is only going to be available to the very wealthy if the technology gets to this limit. It's like artificial wombs or surrogacy. This is something that may be very wealthy people who still feel hung up about the morality of this situation might access, but it's not going to be accessible to poor people. And the people who need abortion access are from all socioeconomic backgrounds, but access is most limited specifically to poor people and specifically in red states like Oklahoma, where there's something like one abortion center in the whole state. And these aren't states with public transit. You know, these aren't states that are easy to move around in. You know, I've lived in the South, in the Midwest, and this, you know... Some of these places are very far away, and it's extremely difficult when you're already struggling to get access to what is your right over your body. It's absolutely insane that abortion pills are not sold over the counter. And that's with the potential complications they can cause. I am so, I am so absolutist on the pro-abortion issue. I think pills like RU486 should be sold over the counter. Birth control pills should be sold over the counter. Birth control should be much cheaper and much more easily accessible to people of all ages. And the fact that it isn't contributes to the amount of abortions, which are on the decline sharply, but it still contributes to that because access to birth control is not as easy as it could be. And I think if you made that much easier, of course, abortions would go down even more. But I'm still very, very, very pro-abortion, pro-bodily autonomy. And 
you know, it, it comes down to, again, the state de- itself declares ownership over the properties and bodies of poor people constantly. To deny them the right to abortion is to limit their already limited freedom under state capitalism even more. Like, just admit you hate poor people because it's really what it comes down to. Like, your beliefs in these policies harm poor people. Anti-abortion legislation hurts poor people the most. It's This is backed up by data. It's not, again... I'm putting a bunch of data in this one. None of these things are very are really debatable when you just look at the statistics. You can try to make other types of philosophical arguments on this topic, but when you look at what the data actually says, you find that these measures always hurt poor people. Yet you do kind of have to look at the consequences of policy, turns out. You can't just argue everything from a deontological perspective. Yeah, I'm going to be an asshole. There's no middle ground on this topic. You either think people have a right to someone else's body or you don't. And you can have an opinion on what other people do with their bodies and, you know, things that you disapprove of, but you don't get to point a gun at them demanding they bow to your personal arbitrary lifestyle preferences. This has to be an absolute stance because of all the lies that are being told by anti-choicers. And the any also any anti-choice or taking a uh, pro-abortion stance is seen as immoral. It's not. It's not like objectively the immoral side, okay? Um, people have a really non-nuanced understanding of morality if you think that people who get abortions are evil or baby killers or murderers or some crazy bullshit like that. And, and I apply this bodily autonomy stance to everything, to drug use, to sex, to suicide. Like, I am a full-on 100% pro-bodily autonomy person on all of these topics. Yep, that even means with shit I don't like and don't think is particularly beneficial to you. <laughs> you still have that right. And if tech, you know, if technology makes evictionism an option, that's great. You know, that's fine. It, I, I can definitely see technology moving in that direction. I just don't think it's really realistic right now. It's not realistic for everyone's circumstances, and I think it concedes too much ground to the anti-choicers. Moving on, number eight. The stance that one can be personally pro-life, but politically pro-choice. Now, I hear this one a lot, and by, like, a ton of people I, I really like, too, and this one is going to probably piss those people off um you're pro-choice just say it you're pro-choice there's no need to concede to the empty moralizing of anti-choicers with this kind of rhetoric and that's fine if you are like that it is okay that you yourself would never have an abortion but that doesn't make you pro-life personally and pro-choice politically you are pro-choice and that's fine you know, morals are, are subjective, but, you know, judging people who have had abortions contributes to the unnecessary stigma around this topic. You know, there, there's no reason to really concede more to these kinds of fake points and lies of the other side. There's too much lying going on on the anti-choice side, and to concede any ground towards that dishonesty, I think, does yourself a huge disservice. And remember, abortions are at an all-time low. So, I mean, there, there's, I don't know, I, I 
I respect people who have that stance, but I, I think it is a slight misnomer. And this is a very small point I'm making. I just have to say that this phrase, on a personal level, I think it concedes too much. But, you know, whatever. I'm, it's not going to be the hill I die on when it comes to abortion. <laughs> I just had to say something about it. Okay, number nine, that people who get abortions are traumatized and full of regret. Okay, sometimes this is the case. Often, it's the case in very specific situations where someone is pressured to get an abortion by their partner. Now, I think by this point in the podcast, you are going to catch the theme here that why is that wrong? Well, it's wrong. The abortion, so to speak, is wrong in that context because of the bodily autonomy issue. This is someone who doesn't respect the bodily autonomy of another person and is using coercion to make that person do with their body something that is against their will and something that they otherwise would not have done. So while the regret thing, it is a portion of the people who get abortions, oftentimes it's in a coercive reproductive situation. You know, and and either way, you know, the person who's pressuring someone to get an abortion is probably not fit to be a parent, according to the moral claims made by anti-choicers. And this is super important because these are people who are very quick to call people who get abortions or who pressure people to get abortions murderers and killers and use this really loaded language. So I've never understood the logic in wanting to have murderers, people you think are literal murderers, raising children. Doesn't really seem consistent to me. Doesn't seem to make any sense morally, logically, ethically, for a lot of reasons. You believe those people are bad. So why do you want them wreaking havoc on a child's life? Now, I'm not making that claim necessarily. I don't know. But, um, I mean, I also, <laughs> the, the random sampling people I know who stuck with a man specifically, it's usually gendered. It just is. It's usually gendered that the man is trying to add pressure for the person to get an abortion, basically. You know, those people are shitty people, usually. Yeah, they're not fit to be fathers. They don't have that instinct, probably. And unfortunately, it is probably, you're probably better off for having gotten the abortion um, than to force a child to endure being hated by their father for reasons that are not even their fault. But it's horrible. It's horrible that you've even had to be in that situation where someone is pressuring you to do something against your will. I'm pro-choice because people deserve to have that choice one way or the other. You can choose to bring a child into the world under whatever conditions you want to. Ultimately, that is up to you. And if someone's being abusive towards you, that's awful. It's awful because it's a violation of your freedom. And when we look at the other side of the coin here, the whole premise of this, the, the uh, oh, everyone who gets an abortion is traumatized, it's wrong. It's a complete lie. In fact, most people who get abortions do not regret their choices whatsoever. And there's a linked article for that as well. You know, hardly any women regret their abortions. Hardly. 
And again, from a small sampling of people that I know, you know, I've known people who have had abortions and not had abortions and people on all sides of this issue. And from the sampling of people I know, anecdotally, yeah, I don't really, the people I know who've gotten abortions uh, do not regret that at all. In fact, something that's a lot more uncomfortable to talk about, if we can dive into this topic, is the people who have kids that don't really want them or really yearn for something else to have done differently with their lives. You know, this is something we don't, no one wants to talk about. And most parents will not admit this, by the way. You're very rarely going to get a parent who's going to directly tell you that, you know, they wish they had waited or something like that or they, you know, it's because, like, there's going to be a, you know, no one wants to say that, you know, (laughs) their child annoys them or something. But that maybe there should be less social pressure on parents in general who don't always find raising children to be the magical thing they thought it would be. Like, it should be okay to talk about maybe having regrets in this regard and, you know, not get regrets on not getting an abortion. This is way more taboo to talk about, by the way, than saying you had an abortion. Saying that, like, you you wish you'd had abortion or, you, you know, or even just not wishing you had an abortion. It's, uh, it's very rare, I think, that, like, I, I do think it is actually really statistically rare that people who've had children wish they would have gotten an abortion instead. But you do see it things and you see doubts in the forms of, oh, I wonder what it would have been like. I wonder what my life would have been like if I hadn't had children so young, for example. And yeah, I mean, I had friends in high school get pregnant and, you know, it was a good experience for them. It helped them turn their lives around and stuff like that. But it is a struggle. Your options are limited depending on your gender when it comes to giving birth. Even though it shouldn't be that way, even though society has progressed in a lot of ways, there are so many expectations placed on you. And it seems like as a parent, there's nothing you can do right that's not going to get criticism from people. And I want to make this specifically about abortion. Like, I don't want to add on to that pressure necessarily, you know, with this podcast. Yeah, I think a lot of people have some doubts and they should have places they can talk about those doubts so they don't come out as like resentments towards their children. Again, my position on this is one of I want the best opportunities for children. I'm not anti-child. Like I don't like, you know, just because I don't want to have children doesn't mean like I necessarily hate them or anything, you know, they're not for me. But I also am not like, oh, you know, fucking kids. Like, I hope they have some terrible childhood. Like, no, like, I want them to have the best childhood they can. Like, I don't want them to have to go through shitty childhoods. That shit can fuck you up forever. Some people never get over that shit. So, and yeah, and if, look, if you're not ready for that responsibility, there's no shame in knowing yourself and choosing to value your own life and the potential quality of life for a fetus. You know, people who get abortions are not bad people. Anti-choicers themselves do this. You know, this is one of those things. They get to have their cake and eat it, too. 
a lot of anti-choicers get abortions and go right back over that fucking picket line because they're so special. You know, they're, when it's their mistake, it's different. And they're actually more moral than everyone else. And I tried to find, I came across this amazing blog a few years ago about this very topic, and I can't seem to find it, weirdly enough, anymore. Um, I looked all over for this article or for this uh, blog that was all about, uh, you know, the pro-lifers who, pro-lifers in, you know, quotes, because they're not really pro-life, who ended up having abortions. And the thing is, the people who work at abortion clinics see these people. <laughs> like, they have to, they have to be face to face with these protesters and they're in the office too when the protesters come in to get abortions. So this whole like moral high ground thing is such a crock of fucking shit. It's such a crock of shit. Like, those people love that they have the legal right to get an abortion when it suits them, when it suits their personal lives and their circumstances because they can other everyone else and say, oh, well, those people got it for, you know, stupid reasons. I'm getting it for good reasons. Nope, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I take an absolutist stance on this, too. The reason for the abortion doesn't matter at all. You have to have that right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And besides, uh, most of the people getting abortions are doing it for what other people deem as totally moral, valid reasons. I don't make moral claims on the reasons for it. I think that it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter if you got an abortion because you were raped, and it doesn't matter if this is your 10th abortion because you like to raw dog it. Like, I don't give a shit, you know? <laughs> and like, I know that's jarring to people. I know some people are going to be like, oh, well, it should just be in the case of incest and rape, and I'm trying to be compassionate. It's a fake compassion. It's fake compassion to say that abortion is only okay under the circumstances that you find morally valid, because your morality is just the fucking best. Doesn't matter. Nope. You know, like, it, it doesn't matter who's getting it, doesn't matter the reason why. And unless you have the capacity to become pregnant, you really can't fully understand the fear that some people have about their bodies being taken over by something without their consent, or the fear about the circumstances they're in, or the danger associated with childbirth itself. Especially the circumstances thing. Basically, if you are in a domestic violence situation and you become pregnant, you are at more of a risk of violence because violence has been shown to increase in those situations for we're not exactly sure of the reasons, but it will not save you from violence and bringing a child into a violent home, I think, is much worse than never subjecting that child to that kind of violence. That's just my personal opinion. Again, you know, I do think the morality is fairly subjective on this topic, but I think unless you've really experienced that, it's not really up to you to decide that. It's not up to you to decide it for any reason, but like you especially can't understand that fear. You cannot understand what it's like to be in a reproductively coercive situation. All right, moving on to number 10. This will be the final one. And it is the myth that abortion is more dangerous than childbirth and increases your risk of cancer. Okay, well, 
both lies, just total lies, like not even a little bit true. So let's dig into what the data says on this. So I have two linked studies here, and uh, the first one is a PubMed study, and the objective of the study was to assess the safety of abortion compared with childbirth. And this was their methodology for that one. We estimated mortality rates associated with live births and legal induced abortions in the United States in 1998 to 2005. We used the data from the CDC and Prevention's Pregnancy Mortality Surveillance System, Birth Certificate, and the Guttmacher Institute surveys. In addition, we searched for population-based data comparing the morbidity of abortion and childbirth. The results of the study was the pregnancy-associated mortality rate among women who delivered live neonates was 8.8 deaths per 100,000 live births. The mortality rate related to induced abortion was 0.6 deaths per 100,000 abortions. In the one recent comparative study of pregnancy morbidity in the United States, pregnancy-related complications were more common with childbirth than with abortion. And the conclusion is legal-induced abortion is markedly safer than childbirth. The risk of death associated with childbirth is approximately 14 times higher than that of abortion. Similarly, the overall morbidity associated with childbirth exceeds that of abortion. And um, just another point on this, the U.S.'s position when it comes to uh, the death of the pregnant person in childbirth is higher than a lot of other developed countries. And, you know, it's very interesting. It, it, it's a lot higher than you think it would be considering our access to medical technology and healthcare and all that. And it's very high in the South. If you look at certain states, uh, for instance, uh, Louisiana and Mississippi, I believe, have the highest rates of uh, death during childbirth. And there's no fucking excuse for this. Well, there's reasons for it. And the reason, I mean, there are the complex reasons, but the main reason is the state hates poor people because, of course, it does. And society hates poor people. And there's racial components and stuff, too. Um, but a lot of it comes down to, you know, people hating poor people. So um, now for the second study, it goes into and this is the one you get you see a lot more of that like, oh, it's it's linked to breast cancer. Well, mm, it's a lot more complicated than that. And so it kind of goes into methodology. So methodology is super important in this whole discussion because it depends on how the trials are conducted, basically. So they have to use different studies to determine this information, basically. You have case control studies and cohort studies, and they're conducted a little bit differently. And uh, basically, what they show overall, regardless of, you know, the case control ones are slightly different methodologies, but Basically, the largest and most reliable study on this topic was done in the 1990s in Denmark, and this would have been a cohort study, and um, they did not find any links with breast cancer. In fact, whether it's uh, either study, really, they tend to show no increase in breast cancer. Very rarely do studies show an increase and some studies even show a decrease in breast cancer. Mostly, it appears that it's inconclusive. 
um, leaning more towards, no, there's no increase in breast cancer. So it depends a lot on how the study was conducted. And also, what they don't tell you about a lot of these studies that are published is the ones that get published are the ones that tend to draw a conclusion based on a yes or no. So the ones that are more conclusive are going to get more attention and are studied, whereas the vast majority of ones are con- that are conducted are inconclusive. But because they're inconclusive, that's not sexy and cool to, you know, you can't make a headline out of, well, we can't find any evidence of anything. That's not fun. So um, and that's also kind of like a broader problem with that whole industry too like in general a lot of studies about anything are inconclusive uh, because of the publishing issues and um, so ethical concerns are a valid concern in this case but of the existing studies that we have nope there's no link so like stop fucking lying you don't have to lie to make your points in fact I'd have a lot more respect for anti-choicers if they just said, I'm anti-choice based on my feelings, because that's really what it comes down to. You're anti-choice based on your personal feelings, often rooted in a religious ideology, but even if it's not, you personally feel that you can make choices better than someone else with their body, and you personally feel that you're more entitled to the rights over their body than they are. And you're just wrong. So... Um, It's kind of one of those things that's like, I have a come and take it kind of approach to abortion because it's not going to go away. It's gotten a lot safer. It's gotten a lot more accessible. The usage of it has decreased, but it's, it's not going away. And because of the history of abortion and the abusive ways bodies with wombs have been treated, this is an uncompromising position for me. Yeah, it's a complex topic with a right and wrong conclusion. And I do think it's, again, one of those rare topics that falls into an obvious binary for me. And I know I just released a whole thing, you know, bedtime for binaries against binaries. And I mean, it was mostly about gender, but it can be applied to other topics, too. This is actually a binary topic for me. I think there's a very clear right and wrong answer to it. Uh, You know, I don't really think a middle ground helps in this situation, and despite the compassion that those people show in approaching this topic, I think any middle ground approach really cedes too much. It cedes too much power to the dishonest anti-choice side. And it, 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 it gives them the moral high ground where they have no moral high ground. I mean, there are a few people who are anti-choice and anti-war, And I, I, you know, I think that's a more, you know, I can see why that's a philosophically consistent position. I cannot respect any political anti-choice activism. So um, the stats, I think, are very clear on this topic. These anti-choicers are lying about every single pillar their position is based on. And I have a personal connection to this, too. You know, my own bodily autonomy has been disregarded or attacked for much of my life and very early on. It's no condition to live under, and I've had it really lucky compared to a lot of people I know. And I think it's really hard to appreciate this right unless you've been in a coercive reproductive situation. And to even say I haven't had an abortion seems like a concession to the morality of the act, and I disagree with that. Like, I, it's, it's no one's business, really, and it doesn't matter. 
and it doesn't really influence my position. This is one of those, with a rare exception, a rare lapse in judgment, this is one of those topics I've always been pretty consistent on. I, I briefly, I had a brief brush with, and, and again, it wasn't even anti-choicism. It was the mistaken belief that I was like, oh, well, I'm pro-life for me, but pro-choice for other people. No, I've always been pro-choice because ultimately it has to come down to other people. That's whose rights are at stake in this debate. The rights of other people, the rights of people to have bodily autonomy. It's not about you and your feelings. And it's not about me and my personal beliefs. Just because I think that I might want to carry a child someday doesn't mean I can impose that on other people. And now I'm absolutely certain that I do not want to have children. I will never give birth. I wish it was easier to prevent myself from becoming pregnant. Although I take pretty good efforts. <laughs> I'm pretty good at not getting pregnant. But it's always important to have that choice in the event that something unexpected happens. Life is unexpected. Life, you know, you, you can't, you can't always have everything work out the way you want it to. And it doesn't make you a bad person for doing what's right for you. And uh, yeah, it's not more moral to involuntarily inflict existence on another person just because you think you have the moral high ground. You know, like I've, I've seen it too many times, like too many parents who shouldn't have been parents. And I don't think the world is a better place because they were careless with their children's lives. If you want to be truly pro-life, you have to respect the choice of the person with the ability to birth and rear children. And abortion is never going to go away. There's no stopping it. You know, before medical procedures, there were herbal ways to do it, and there will always be. So, yeah, this podcast is basically... Me saying, I urge anti-choicers to give up and join the real pro-life side, which is, of course, the pro-choice side. If you value human thriving, which I'm not even saying you have to, I'm not even trying to make a moral argument that you have to believe the same thing as me, but if you claim to, if you claim to value human thriving and you claim to want a better world, then being pro-abortion makes the most sense. You have to let other people have that freedom, even if it offends your personal sensibilities. You have to let people choose for themselves. That's my uh, abortion episode, and I am just going to be linking to it because now I've, <laughs> I feel like I've finally gotten out most everything I believe about this topic in a nice, neat little podcast episode so I can just really quickly link to it if the topic comes up again. And I, I like to be thorough, like I like to take a topic like this, distill it down to its components, say everything I need to say about it, and then be done with it. I mean, I'm sure the topic will come up in, in future podcasts and stuff like this, but this is kind of my approach to creating like an evergreen podcast that contains pretty much all of my beliefs on this single topic. In case anyone's wondering what I believe, <laughs> it's out It's out there now and I can link to it. And uh, yeah, I think it's relevant. So if you guys like it, I'd love to hear some feedback on, you know, what you think. Did I leave anything out? You know, any additional thoughts? This is a topic 
even though I do want to be like done with it, I'm like, okay, I finally said everything I needed to say about it. I mean, I, I am always down for discussion and stuff like that. So yeah, like, let me know what you guys thought. Uh, send me love mail to iconosass at gmail.com. You can follow me on Stitcher and SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, yeah, that's it for this podcast. And I'll be talking about something else later on. <laughs>